asked me to, to fill in today, and it worked out. I was able to rearrange my schedule. I was to be at a church in Dallas today, but I really wanted to be here with you again uh, because God uh, really moved last time we were here, and not because of me, but just because of what God is doing here. And, and the second week I was here, I didn't get to share the message God laid on my heart, and I knew he was in control. He had a plan, and let me just show you how cool God is. So uh, Pastor Sid said, hey, um, I'm in this series in the book of James, and he said, you can preach whatever God lays on your heart. But he said, I'm in the book of James. And I said, oh, I love the book of James. I've done series on that. I've taught, preached from that. I said, where are you at? What have you done? Let me know. Maybe, you know, let's see what God is doing. And he said, well, this week is to be about the love of God. Well, I don't know if you remember the second week I was here last time. That was the message I was to preach here was about the love of God. And so isn't it it amazing how God works out all that timing and and, and that detail? And and so if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2 is where you're at in this series. I want to pick up uh, from that. And uh, I I was yesterday um, at the fairgrounds with about 90 other thousand crazy people. eating corn dogs and looking at the Ferris wheel. And there was also this little game that happened to be going on there uh, at the same time. And uh, my church used to have this joke, and maybe it wasn't a joke, maybe they just act like it was a joke, that um, depending on whether, how whether or not OU performed and finished uh, the day before impacted the tone of my sermon uh, the next day. And uh, so OU didn't fare that well yesterday. I'm an OU fan from Oklahoma. I know, Texas, you you horns got us. And so, uh, yeah, so if this message gets a little difficult, put on your steel-toed boots and uh, blame it on the Longhorns. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Uh, That won't be the case. God is good, and uh, it's just a football game in light of eternity. It's good to have my family with us today again, and uh, my wife and beautiful kids. We also have our uh, my sister-in-law Brinkley uh, with us today. They're down from Oklahoma visiting for the weekend, and her uh, boyfriend to say, fiance, it's coming. Just yeah, Nathan Dom uh, with us today as well. He's actually a state senator in Oklahoma, uh, so don't get to talking about politics uh, with him because he'll wow us with his uh, wisdom. But so honored to have them with us today uh, here visiting. Uh, they're heading back to Oklahoma this afternoon, but uh, it's good to be in church with you all today. Uh, I want to just uh, open up this this message by... Um, by talking about the book of James and, and where you've been so far, I've been listening to Pastor Sid's podcast, and thank you to the media crew back there and putting those podcasts out and all that you do. That's awesome. Uh, so I kind of had a feel for where he's been going with this, and and really he's been talking about uh, what is what is passionate to my heart as well, and that's the the Word of God should impact our lives and how we live, right? Uh, that that's what the Word of God is there for. It's not for entertainment. It's not for stories. It's you know it's to teach us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to to, to train us in the way that we should go, right? And so he's been pulling excerpts and scripture from the book of James and applying it to our lives. And, you know, sometimes the Bible, you read it and you're really encouraged, right? And you, and you read these stories and you're like, wow. When you hear about healings and deliverances and, and you know, just the way God organizes and, and does things, it's amazing. But how I many of you know sometimes you read scripture and you just go, ouch. <laughs> Ever read scripture that way and you're like, oh, okay, Lord. Did you have to tell me that way, you know, where it hurts a little bit? And, and so sometimes we do. We get into the Word of God, and, and there's times where I think the, the authors, the, the spirit-led authors of the Word of God are really trying to get our attention. You know, and, they're, and, they're, and, and in the way they use it, sometimes in just reading, uh, it's hard to grasp the moment where they were trying to get our attention. 
right? And so sometimes we have to use the rest of our senses uh, to truly grasp and understand what God is trying to speak to us through the Word. So let's look at James uh, chapter 2 this morning. It starts off by saying, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, isn't that like a way to butter you up almost? Like, hey, friends, I love you guys. So good to see you today, my dear brothers and, and sisters. You see what I'm saying? When you when you add emotion to it, when you add reflection to it, doesn't that make it come alive a little bit more than just my dear brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters? You know what I mean? And so you need to understand James trying to get this message across. He says, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Everybody say, ouch. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. That was mine too, but yeah, <laughs> you're good. I'll take a cold, fresh one any day of the week. Look at verse 2. He says, for example, right? So not only does he ask you this question, he butters you up, and then he says, how can you claim this, right, if you do a certain thing? And so then he says, for example, let me paint the picture for you. Let me, let me show this out. Let me draw this out for you. He says, suppose someone comes into your meeting. What that means is suppose someone comes into church with you today. All right. So I, I think it's best to, to show you this this morning. Brother Dan, come, come help me today. Uh, Nathan, you come up here and help me. I'm going to pick on my, my future family here a, a little bit and make him do this. And so this is a no reflection of them individually. This is for illustrative purposes. Everybody hear me this morning. Everybody with me. I love, I love these men. Okay. So, but James says this, he says, suppose a person comes into your church service He's dressed nice. He's got a great title. He's a senator, right? He's got jewelry on. He looks the part. He looks all these things. And he comes in the back door and we go, oh, it's awesome to have you today. You get our front row seating today. I want you right here in the front. Everybody can see you. Yes, right here. It's where everybody can see you, right? Because you're a VIP. You're important. That's what James is saying right here, right? So he gets this seat. Then this other guy comes in. Everybody say the other guy. He looks good today, but let's just pretend that he doesn't look the part. He doesn't look like we think somebody should show up to church, right? He looks like he, the, the ways of the world are heavy on his life right now. Life's gotten tough. Life's gotten difficult. And this is what we do to him. Oh, uh, come here. Look over there. Don't, don't mind what we're doing. And we give him this seat way back here in the very back. And you just hang out back here. Because we don't want you to be seen. We don't want you to be heard. We don't want you to reflect on who we are. Everybody with me today? You see, that's what James is saying. So see when it comes to life a little bit? Okay, you guys can go back to your seats. Give them a clap uh, for, for helping me out this morning. So you get the picture now of what James is trying to say to us. That's the example. He says if, if they come in like this and we give special attention to them, we give a good seat to them and to the rich person, but then we say to the poor one, you stand back there. Or you sit on the floor. I didn't make you sit on the floor, brother, because I didn't want you to have to do that. He says, he says this, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? You know, sometimes I think we do things and we think we're doing it for the right reasons, but we have the wrong motives. You know, we think on the surface we're doing this for the right reasons, but we have the wrong motives. So look at verse 5. I love what he says here. Listen to me. Listen to me. 
So earlier it's my dear brothers and sisters, right? Now he's dropped this bomb of an example on us and showing this to us. And now he says, listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, listen, listen. He says, listen to me, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, do you see the change in the tone? Listen to me. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? He says, aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Verse 6, but you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander the name of Jesus Christ, whose noble name that you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. And what does that say? Love your neighbor as yourself. I think I cheered too much yesterday. I yelled at them longhorns too much. What royal law is he talking about? Love your neighbor as yourself. It goes all the way back to Moses when he was given the law in Leviticus chapter 19. He's telling the Israelites, this is, this is what it means to know God, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to look in a minute how Jesus brought this back again. And now we see James reminding of us this law. But verse 9, if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. Wow, ouch. You're guilty of breaking the law. That's not sugarcoating it, is it? That's preaching the truth right there. For the person, this is verse 10, who keeps all the laws except one, everybody say except one, is what? Still guilty. They're still guilty as the person who doesn't keep any laws, who breaks every single law. Think about that today. Are you justifying your sins because you're not sinning like the other person? Think about it. Verse 11, the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you murder someone but don't commit adultery, you've still broken the law. I'm sure uh, James had more time. He'd go a little deeper into this right here. He uses two big ones, adultery and murder. But dare I say gossip the same level, right? Talking about people, doing those things. Look at verse 12. Whatever. Everybody say whatever. Whatever you say or whatever you do, I'm pretty sure he meant that to be all-encompassing. Not whatever you do at church, not whatever you say at church around Christians, but he's talking about at work, at school, at home, whatever you say, wherever you're at, whatever you do, are you with me? Remember that you'll be judged by the law that set you free. Verse 13, there'll be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. How many of you need some mercy in your life or have you experienced the mercy and grace of God? We only get that if we show it to others. Are you with me this morning? So it says here, there'll be no mercy if you've not shown mercy, but if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And look at verse 14. This will be the last verse I'll read. From James, what good is it? It's almost like James has preached his sermon out, right? I mean, he's given it all. My brothers and sisters, listen, here's the example. Here's the hard truth. Here's what we got to do. And now he says, what good is it? What good is it? My dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions. That's kind of the altar call, isn't it, of, of his message of his point in this message today. And you know what that really sounds like to me when he asked that question? How good, you know, what good can it be? 
if you say you have faith, you don't show up by your actions, because then he follows it up with a second question. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Isn't that why we do what we do? To lead people to salvation? Isn't that why we gather and sing and give and do outreaches and do children's church and serve and clean the building and all the things that we do? Isn't that why we do that? So hopefully it'll lead somebody to salvation. We're not trying to build a country club to where we leave and we get gospel goosebumps and go, ooh, that message was good, worship was good, whatever was good today. The goal is that we all leave here equipped another day to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world so that it might save one. I think when James is asking that question, it's almost like he's on the playground when you were a kid and you say you can do something and he looks at you and he says this, prove it. Remember those days? Prove it. It's one thing to just say it, but can that really save anyone? Can you prove that? And So what do you do? You step up and show them that you can stick your tongue on a frozen light pole. You were talking about Christmas coming. It made me think of the, the Christmas story movie there. You know, I don't think any of us like to be put in a corner where it's put up or shut up, right? Where it's prove it or else, right? You know, where there's, there's consequences. But there's areas of our life, how many of you know that talk isn't enough? Talk doesn't cut it. It doesn't, cut, it doesn't pass it enough to do. There's times when we have to step up and prove what we say is really true. And in that, James is saying, how can your faith save anyone? Prove it. Look at your love. Look at how you obey the commandments. Look at you, how you obey the laws. How are you living that out? And I think probably everyone in this room this morning, you're here, and if we polled you, you'd say you love God, that you love God, that you desire to prove your love for God and your faith in action in your daily life. But Scripture is challenging us, challenging us today. How do we prove our love for God in a way that tells God and tells other people that we're serious about our faith? where there's no doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, they know who we are, who we serve, who we stand for, and what we believe. How do we live that out? Are we just going through the religious motions? Do you have the little ichthus on your car? That's the little Christian fish symbol on your car. Do you have the radiant life sticker on your windshield? Right? Do you have the little bumper frame that says, you know, loving God, loving people? Are you really living this out? How many of you know it's one thing to go through the religious motions? And it's another thing to genuinely live it out. It's one thing to say you love God, but it's another thing for your actions to prove it. So that's what we're looking at in God's word. And God, he gives us, James reiterates this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And it goes all the way back to Leviticus. But then Jesus in Mark chapter 12, if you want to flip back just a few books in your Bible there, Jesus is talking about this greatest commandment. Again, because the religious people are there, it's three days before Jesus is about to be crucified, and he's having these last-minute conversations and meetings and really their debates. And the religious people, the religious leaders, they're in panic mode because Jesus has kind of put them in their place time after time after time. And there's a lot of buzz. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of action. It's uh, Passover time, so everybody's in town, and they're just nervous about what's going to happen. And so in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, if you, if you jump there with me, it says, one of the teachers of the law came in and he heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
So they're testing Jesus' knowledge of the holy word, of, of the commandments that were given. And Jesus asked them in a question, the, almost the question, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? So he sits it up. It's almost like his preference, his, his fine print before he drops this truth on him. He says, love the Lord your God. And he gives us four ways to do that. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. How many of you feel like that kind of encompasses most of our life, those four areas? If we love God with those four areas. But listen, Jesus wasn't done. He said the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have we seen that before? Leviticus 19, James chapter 2, right? It's important to Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So what I get when I read this, if I read it all together, Jesus is saying don't separate these things. He's not, he's not saying love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then if that works out, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is lumping those together, saying here's the first, but here's like 1A, Are you with me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the result of that will be to love your neighbor as yourself. That will be the fruit of it. That'll be the verification. That'll be the way you prove your love for God as it comes out in how you love your neighbors. Everybody with me this morning? So it says, well said, teacher. This is the religious leader. You're right in saying that God is one. There's no other but him. But to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices? You mean giving in the offering? You mean singing? You mean raising my hand? You mean showing up on serve days? You mean doing those things? That's, more, that's not more important than loving you with all these areas of my life and then loving my neighbor? You see the question they're asking? Because they've got that religious step down. They're used to going through those motions. And it says, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And then from no on, no one, I love this, dared to ask him any more questions. They chickened out after that, didn't they? Okay, Jesus, we got you. We're not going to ask you any more questions. But the bottom line of this commandment to love God is that we're to love God with every part of us. We can't compartmentalize it anymore. Our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. We can't compartmentalize our lives. You know, how many know sometimes we put God in, we have a God section of our life. Then we have a family section. We have a finances section. We have a Monday through Friday section. We got a Saturday night section that we don't want nobody to know about. I told you, oh, you lost yesterday, so I'm bringing it today. No. But listen, we can't compartmentalize our lives and have a God section and then think that it shouldn't spill over into all these other sections of our lives. It should be the God section, and then all those areas fall under God instead of compartmentalizing that out. And so this love for God, it's an active love. It's a participation with our lives, right? It's not, it's not just saying that we love God. That's what I think we need to get from James's challenge today and Jesus uh, it, reiterating this today is because often we think of love as just an emotion. Oh, I'm, I'm in love. You understand? I love you. I, I love things about you, right? It's, it's an emotional love. It gives me, you know, those googly eyes. My wife and I are about to celebrate 20 years of marriage, I love her. You understand what I'm saying today? There's an emotion that's tied to that love. And there's highs and lows with those emotions. And how many know if we let our emotions dictate the, the 
the fruit of our love, we're going to mess up. So what Jesus is saying here, that it's more than emotion. There's an emotional aspect to it, but there's a whole lot more than just emotions. But I want to look at the question at the heart of this and says, how do, how do we prove our love for God? How do we prove that we really love him? Well, in another scripture, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, this is our love for God to obey his commands. Think about that. This is how we love God. We obey his commands. 1 John 5, 3, and it says his commands are not burdensome. They're not hard. They're not difficult. They're not, they shouldn't be that challenging for us if we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You understand? That obedience should just be a natural outflow of the God and Holy Spirit that's inside of us. So we see from the scripture that to love God, the first thing we have to do is obey God. If we really want to prove our love for God, we have to obey God. It's more than having an emotional attachment. It's more than, there, I, I saw on, on TV that there's this new show that's come out, you know, all these fall shows coming out. And uh, it's called God Friended Me. I, I've not watched it yet, but this, this guy's going along and he gets a Facebook request that God wants to be his friend. And there's a little cloud in the sky, you know, that's representing God or whatever. And, and so the, I kind of looked at the story of it. And so God friends him because he's, his dad's a minister, and he's wandered away from the faith, and, uh, you know, he's questioning God. He's doubting God. He's doubting these things, but God starts giving him friend requests of other people, and then he does, has an interaction in their life, and it's a way that God confirms his love for him. You know, God put him there uh, because I think somebody was gonna, about to die, you know, hit by a car or something. I'm not sure what it was, and God put him there to save his life to confirm that God is in control. It's a pretty cool story. I mean, hopefully they don't abuse the the emphasis of that, but there's many of us that want to like God, follow God on Facebook, friend him on, on those things, and we don't have any negative oppressions of God. You know, God is God. He's good, and but we don't have a real deep love for God. We don't have a real deep passion for God. It doesn't go beyond that emotional level, and, and I think for Christians, it's, it's good to have emotions in our love for God, but emotion isn't enough. In, in John chapter 14, verse 23, listen to what Jesus says about this. John 14, 23, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, here he says again, he will obey my teaching. So if you love God, we all say in here that we do, we'll obey his teaching. And then he says, my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So you see, it's either or. There's not a middle ground. There's not a gray area. You can't ride both sides of the fence. Either you love God and obey his teaching, or if you don't obey his teaching, you don't love him. He doesn't say you kind of love him if you kind of meet him in the middle. Are you with me this morning? He says, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus is making this connection between his words and the words of God. And he says, when you're obeying Jesus, you're obeying the Father who sent him. And so I want to make sure I get this point across this morning because it's, it's important for us because a lot of people get this theology wrong. We don't earn God's love by obeying him. Some people think they got to earn, they got to work their way up to God loving them in this immeasurable way. That we have to earn it by our good works and by doing enough and doing not enough bad. Are you with me? But we don't earn it. God's love is not earned. What we're talking about today is we show our love for God by obeying him. It's not obeying him to earn his love. It's obeying him to confirm his love. 
Huge difference for us to understand this morning. The proof is in our obedience. And that seems good on the surface, but why are there so many people today who call themselves Christians but don't obey them? I'm sure you think about that, don't you? I think there's a lot of people who feel it's okay to say that they love God and still live for themselves instead of him. They compartmentalize God. They have God with a little G, not a capital G in their lives. Here's some reasons I can think of. Some people don't, or some people live this way because they don't recognize the benefits of obedience. There's benefits of obedience. When we think of obedience, sometimes we think of rules and I'm in a straitjacket, and I have to conform or else, and there's punishment and, and all these kind of things. But that's really not the case at all. There are real benefits when we obey God's commands. God's commands are there for our protection. How many parents do I have in the room? How many, how many parents? How many of you parents have rules in your house? About half of you. The other half that's gone crazy there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I have rules in my house that are for my kids' protection, right? Clean your room. Get your schoolwork done. It's to protect them. Keep them focused. You understand? Don't be disrespectful to your mom or to each other. Right? You can root for any team you want as long as it's the Sooners. <laughs> Those are rules in my house. They're rules to make life easier for us, for our family, to bring joy and peace to our home, to train up our children in the way they should go so when they're old they will not depart from it. Right? There are certain rules that are just there for our protection, but there are some rules that are bigger than that. Or there are some rules that are just there to make life better and easier, and then there are some rules that are for our protection. Right? And so some of those don't leave the house without us. You know, uh, Don't touch a hot stove. Don't play in the street. Don't run with scissors. Right? I mean, those are rules that protect my children. You can cheer on any football team you want as long as it's the Sooners. That's rules to protect my children. My point here is this. Some of the rules in our house are there just because we love our kids. And we want them to obey them because we love them. And we have their best interest in mind. And some of the rules are there to protect them because we don't want them to be hurt. So have you ever looked at God's commands in that same way? Some of them are there just because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And some of them are there because God's really trying to protect us from the heart hurt that can come in this world. I'm sure all of us here can tell stories of when we got hurt, when we were disobeying our parents, right? I've got this scar right here, and part of why I have a beard is to kind of hide it. But my lip right here, got a big old scar. One night, I did some things to break rules when I was a child. And a bunch of kids snuck out at night, and we were roaming the neighborhood doing stuff we weren't supposed to do. And uh, it's dark, really dark, middle of the night. And next thing you know, I hear one of the kids yell, everybody run! And I heard glass shatter. Somebody throwing a rock through a window, but I just heard the everybody run part, and I'm gone because I don't want to get caught for this. And next thing you know, I'm running as fast as I can, pitch black. Next thing you know, I'm out, and I wake up in the hospital. I still to this day don't know what I ran into, if it's a tree, a house, a car, the road. <laughs> Who knows? But I, I f- face impacted something that messed me up, right? And so this scar is a reminder for me today still that there's rules that are there to make life better, but there's also rules that are there to protect me. And when I step outside of those boundaries of rules, there's a price to pay. And I was messed up, had to have kind of a little reconstructive surgery and stitches and all my teeth. It was just an awful, awful deal. But our God in heaven, he's given us commands to follow and therefore our benefit. And how many of you agree that from personal experience, when you listen to the word of God and you obey it, you've been spared a lot of heartache and a lot of headaches? But how many also agree this morning that 
from experience when you've ignored God's word or disobeyed his commands, you've had a lot of both. Jesus came that we should have life to the full. And his commands are there for us to live that life. Another benefit to obeying God is God's commands are there to give us wisdom. I'm sure there's some very smart people in this room, way smarter than I am. But our limited understanding, our limited abilities, our limited knowledge is not enough to, to navigate this journey called life. We can't do it on our, on our own. The Bible speaks of a wisdom from God that is greater than man's wisdom, deeper than our own understanding, and we can't lean on our own. We need God's wisdom. And I looked up this definition from a, a spiritual perspective, and I love this. It says, wisdom is the capacity to see things from God's perspective and respond according to scriptural principles. Let me say that again. Wisdom is the capacity to see things from God's perspective and respond according to scriptural principles. See, wisdom saves us from difficulties in life. It equips us to handle the circumstances that come our way, that, that cause us pain and frustration and fear and worry. It positions us to receive the eternal reward that God has for us. And we could go on and on about the benefits of obedience, but there's other reasons why people don't put a priority on this. Some people filter their level of obedience through their own convenience. As long as it fits in with what I'm trying to do, as long as it fits my life, my schedule, my priorities, as long as all that falls into place, I'll obey as long as it doesn't cause me to change my life style. There's a story in Acts 24. I won't go through it for the sake of time today, but there's a story in Acts 24 of Felix and Paul. Felix was the governor. Paul went before him, and he's sharing the word. And it says the governor was well aware of the way, and he was listening to it, and he was being convicted by it. He and his wife were. But all of a sudden, he says, he sends Paul away, and he says, I'll sin for you when it's a more convenient time. Because the governor didn't want to change his wicked ways. He didn't want to change how he was ruling. He didn't want to change his womanizing ways. He didn't want to change all those things. It didn't fit, so he sent him away until it was a more convenient season. And I think we are guilty of doing that sometimes with God. We hear a message. We read a scripture. We get a confirming word. The Holy Spirit moves, and we're like, ooh, that was good, but I'm going to put that over here in this pocket until I need it because I'm not ready to live that out just quite yet. We can't rationalize our sins because we're not as bad as the next person, even if what we're doing is in direct uh, wrong according to Scripture. That comparison mindset, how many of you know that's a dangerous trap to get into? Or here's what we do sometimes. Sometimes we get a little whiteboard out. Just picture I've got this whiteboard right here, and we make two columns, good and bad, and we draw a line down the middle. And sometimes this is what we do in our minds is we get out this little whiteboard. We write down all the good things we did today or this week or this month. I went to church. I gave in the offering. I, I prayed. I, I, I was nice to somebody. I sat by somebody. I invited somebody to lunch, right? I did all these good things. And then we put over here and we want to list these bad things and we put some of those bad things, right? I did this sin. I did whatever that was. And as long as that good side is longer than this bad side, then we justify our behavior and say, that's all good. There's more good than bad, so therefore I'm, I'm obeying enough. But I'm of this belief that partial obedience to God is complete disobedience to God. You can't be halfway in. You can't do the, the, the hokey pokey. I got my one foot in, right? You, you can't be part way in. You got to be all in to God when you obey his commands. Another reason people call themselves Christians but they're not into obeying God is because Role models and people they look up to speak of God but don't show obedience in their lives. 
we're in this culture of putting people on pedestals and platforms because of who they, you know, who they are, and they mention God in something, right? And all of a sudden, our theology is based on how they live their lives and what they say rather than what the Word of God says. I call it the Chris Pratt theology lately because he's the one that, you know, got up at some award show and talked about God. And I'm not questioning his faith or doubting his faith, but all of a sudden, it's the gospel according to Chris Pratt, not the gospel according to Jesus. You see what I'm saying today? We, we don't have checks and balances in our life to check and balance what people say. Is it in line with the word of God? We just go with whatever they say because we look up to them. They're in a position of influence. And can I tell you today, you have to be careful with what you do with your influence because people are watching. People are watching. When I became a new Christian at church, I was 18, 19 years old. And you know what I started doing? I had no example of what it was. So I started watching men in the church. I started watching these men, how they served their wives, how they talked about the church, how they were around the pastor, how they were around other men. And they didn't know it. I wasn't going up to them and going, hey, I'm watching you. I'm basing my, my new faith on how you're living your life. I'm going to learn how to be a husband and a father and all these things because I'm watching you. I didn't tell them that, but I stood back here and I watched. And I'm, I came to conclusions of, okay, I want to follow him and I don't want to follow him. So whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not, when you take the mark of a Christian, people are watching you. And get over it, they're judging you. They're judging your words, your actions, your reactions. They're judging how you talk about things, how you talk about people. They're judging by the emails you forward on and their little jokes, the things you post on Facebook, the things you like. They're judging you. It comes with the territory when you become a Christian. We have to be careful with our platform. So it's not a real shocker when you look at these things and you think that there's many Christians who don't feel that obedience to God is that much of a big deal. We look at the word of God, but it is a big deal because God says if you'll love him, you'll obey him. James says that. How can your faith in action prove your love for God unless people are saved by it? That's what James is trying to say to us today. There should be fruits of your labor. There should be fruits of your faith. You understand that today. We're all called to be preachers, whether you ever step form on this platform or not with a microphone. We're all called to be ministers of this gospel when you take on the mark of a Christian. So let me just wrap up with these few things here before we pray. God wants life service, not lip service. He wants a life of service, complete surrender, complete obedience, not lip service. He doesn't want us just to talk the talk. He wants us to walk the walk, to live this thing out every day. Real love, whether it's a love for God or a love for people, doesn't say, what is in this for me? It says, what can I do for you? We have a what's in it for me culture today. How am I going to benefit by this? How is this going to bless me? How is this going to help promote me? How is this going to make me look good? But scripture turns that upside down. When we have a love for God and a love for people, it's not what's in it for us. It's what can I do for someone else today? It's a huge difference. Here's the second thought I want you to get by. A Christian's life should be living proof of their connection to the Father. Our life should be living proof of our connection to God. Our sacrificial love for God and for others is a testimony of our love for God. We don't have to tell people, I love God. People are going to watch you and go, man, they must be radically in love with God. They're going to jump to that conclusion before you ever have to say it. So do you love God 
Are you proving your love, God? Is there evidence in your life for God? I heard it said this way one time. If you were arrested for your faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you of it? If you were put on trial for being a believer, and you know, in other parts of the world that happens, would there be enough evidence for the prosecutor to convict you of that crime? It's a good way to look at it, isn't it, this morning? Do you truly love God? Do you truly love your neighbor? You prove it because the evidence is in your sacrifice. So what do we do with all this? Can I give you, this is, this is the bottom line today. It's pretty simple. Start obeying. Everybody say, wow. It's amazing, isn't it? Start obeying. Start obeying. That's what God says. Just start obeying. So I've got good news and bad news for that. Let me start with the bad news. Are you bad news first, people? Here's the bad news. You can't do this on your own. You just can't start loving on your own. You can't start having proven evidence in your life. But here's the good news. God wants to help you in these areas. Philippians 2.13 says, God is at work within you. We see God's at work on the outside, right? I mean, during worship today, when God moves and God speaks to the Holy Spirit, right, we see God working outside of us. But this tells us God is working within us, helping us want to obey him and helping us to do what he wants. So God's helping you. That's the good news. Make that your prayer. Make that your focus. Make that the emphasis of your devotions, that God is helping you because you want to obey him. How many of you know you have to be a willing participant in your own rescue? You, you got to want it. Amen. You can't just say, okay, God, just make me start loving you and loving other people. You got to want it. And when we get to that point where our obedience to God is done out of our love for him, can I tell you, it doesn't become about how am I doing this? It just becomes a joy that overflows out of you. Amen. You don't have to stop and go, okay, God, how can I obey you and show love to you in this situation? Your natural outflow of your faith just becomes a joyful thing that, wow, I did this because I love God. And it doesn't even become an obedience I have to or get to or whatever, all right? You see, here's the thing. If Christians really get serious about showing our love for God by obeying his commands, then not only would they understand all the great things God has in store for us if we obey him, but those who don't yet know Jesus would see a bunch of people who aren't content with just talking about loving God. They'll see that being a Christian is more than just going to church and calling yourself a Christian. They're looking for proof in the pudding. They'll see that good work, that God is working in our lives, who love God, and that our lives aren't just talking about it. And maybe, just maybe, if we live this out, somebody will get saved. And I believe they will. I believe they will. I was leaving the fair yesterday and the the ball game, and on every corner, because I had to walk like 43 miles to get back to the train. It felt like that anyways after that loss. But um, every street corner guy with a microphone and a PA system. I love the boldness of street evangelism. And I think there's a place and a platform for street evangelism. But the methods in which many practice that are difficult for people to stop, drop, and roll on the spot into a faith with Jesus. When some guy is yelling at me and telling me I'm going to hell and that because I went to that entertainment venue that, you know, I'm an abomination and all these kind of things, right? That's what they're screaming in this microphone on the street corner. It doesn't make me stop and go, oh, give me this Jesus you got. I want some of this love that you're showing right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a place for street evangelism. Hear my heart today. But sometimes we have to check our methods and our motives, as I said earlier. But people are watching. A transformed life should look just like that. 
transformed. There should be something different about us. When you go to your 10-year reunion, people should say, wow. 20-year reunion, wow. Some of you have more reunions, wow. You hear me? There should be noticeable change and growth spiritually in your life. People should notice those things. They should see those things. It should be evident. So becoming, becoming a Christian means handing over every aspect of your life to be transformed, all or nothing. We recently moved to Oklahoma. We sold our, to Texas. We sold our house in Oklahoma. You know, when I sold my house, I couldn't keep one of the rooms. I couldn't keep one of the closets. Oh, I really like that room. I want to keep that, but I'm selling you the house. Right? But that's what we do with God, isn't it? We give our life to God, but, man, I really like this room over here. I really like this habit I've got. I really like this lifestyle part over here. So, or, you know, it's kind of like uh, treating faith like we're renting a room to Jesus. Right? We give him one or two rooms to rent Sunday mornings, Sunday nights maybe, one night a week. Jesus, I'll rent you that room. For the rest of the week, it's no vacancy. Right? You understand? So this scripture is a great way for us to evaluate. James is telling us here, evaluate, can your faith save anyone? Can the way you live this out, the way you love God, the way you love your neighbor? Because here's my final thought, and I want to pray. Our highest calling as Christians is to love God with every part of our lives. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. for your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this group this morning. I thank you for all the believers that are here today. God, no matter where every single person is on their journey of faith today, God, I pray that through your word today, God, you are drawing us and calling us to another level. You're calling us to go higher. You're calling us to go deeper. You're calling us to lay something aside. You're, you're, you're calling us, God, to quit renting rooms and compartmentalizing things, and you're calling us to go all in today. God, I thank you for every person that's here today. I believe it wasn't by accidents, happenstance, chance, luck, or indifference. God, you brought every single person here for a reason today, including me. So, God, my hope and prayer is that people would see through my words and hear your words today. They would see through my methods, God, and the Holy Spirit would speak today. And, God, if there's somebody here, we can't learn to love you and to love our neighbor until we've received your love. God, if there's somebody here today who's not sure where they stand in their walk with you. They're not sure where they are in regards to salvation. They're not sure if they're saved. They're not sure if about this whole faith thing. They're not sure if they even need it. They've got more questions than answers. God, I pray that today you're speaking to that person. You're showing them your amazing and incredible love and mercy and grace. God, I believe there's some people here today that are just feeling a challenge by this and going, God, I want to go to another level. I want to go all in. I want to, I want to prove it. I want to, I want to live this out in a way that I'm not doing it currently. Maybe there's just an area of your life. Maybe it's a reputation you have. Maybe it's a thing that you have, a vice that you do, and you're not living it out completely, being sold out and all in for God. God is calling you to lay that down today, to leave it in this place. So if you're any of those things this morning, you've got sin in your life, you need to be forgiven, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're here this morning and you've got God in a box, but you've got other boxes that you need to lay down. You love God, you're serving God, you've forgiven by God, but you've still got some areas of struggle. If that's you this morning, or if you're here today and you just say, I want to be all in. I want to go to another level of my faith. I want to go all in today. If, that's, if you're any of those things this morning, would you just slip up your hand right where you are this morning? 
Thank you. Several hands going up this morning. God, you see every person's hand in here today. You know every person's heart. I bind right now every voice of the enemy that says this isn't for you. Devil, you are a liar. You're the author of all lies. You're just out to steal, kill, and destroy the life that God has for us. And I bind you, and I take authority over you in the name of Jesus. Everybody that's struggling today with sin, God, you are the redeemer. You are the forgiver. You are the author of life, of new life. You said if any one of us are in Christ, we're a new creation, that the past is past and all things are new. God, I pray for that person today to lay that sin aside, to trust you with all of their lives. And God, for those that just said, I want to go all in today. I want to go deeper. I want to be completely sold out. I want my life to be a living proof of my love for you, to not just be lip service, but life service. God, I pray that even today you give us opportunities to live that out. Maybe it's at the lunch table. Maybe it's at the office tomorrow. Maybe it's in the, the locker tomorrow. Maybe it's in the hallway at school tomorrow. Maybe it's on our drive to work. Maybe, God, you're going to give us divine opportunities and supernatural appointments to live this out. To not just say we love you, but to live it out by faith. So God, I pray that you help us be ready to live this out.